You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Battalion Chief Brian Mulry. A trench is considered a temporary excavation where the length of the floor exceeds the width of the floor and the depth of the trench is greater than the width of the floor. Construction, underground utility service and repair are a few of the reasons trenches are dug. New York City has a large amount of underground infrastructure which increases the likelihood of our units responding to such a collapse. These incidents are deceivingly dangerous as they often occur with little or no warning and a high percentage of deaths that occur involve would-be rescuers. With us today to discuss trench rescue operations is Lieutenant Todd Smith from Rescue Company 4 in Queens. Todd is also our lead trench instructor at the Technical Rescue School. Welcome, Todd. Thanks, Chief. All right, I appreciate you coming down. Appreciate you having me. So you're a first-time guest on our podcast. We just start off with the bio. I know when you came on. Yep, but we both got on in uh, February of 96, right? Uh, seems like yesterday, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, at a probe school, I went to uh, Ladder 150. You know, we did the rotation. I went to Rescue 1 in July of 2001. I got promoted in uh, June of 2004. I went to the rescue school for a year, and then I got a spot as lieutenant in squad one. I was there for a little while, about three years. Then I covered in the 15th division for two years, mostly in ladder 103 and 290. And then I was lucky to come back to SOC. I worked as a lieutenant for five years in squad 252. And then I've been in rescue four since February of uh, 2017. All right, great. It's a lot of sock experience. Yeah, bounced around. Breadth of experience. All right, well, yeah, I'm excited to have you down here. I think I told you what precipitated this. You know, trench rescue operations are really low frequency, very dangerous. And we had one in the North Bronx in my battalion. I wasn't working, but one of the lieutenants from Rescue 3 wrote an article, and he referred me to you, you know, being the, uh, the, the lead instructor out there. And I just think it's a good thing to, to talk about because it's so low frequency and so dangerous, just to refresh everybody's knowledge on, on the topic. Yeah, it's one of the most dangerous classes we teach yeah. at the rescue school. The week consists of technician-level training that's 40 hours, and we're in a live trench the entire week. Yeah, the instructor cadre is a group of uh, people from all of our SOC units, but we're like super focused on making sure that our members don't get hurt in those live trenches. Yeah, training needs to have the same considerations. And I just thought maybe because there's the different names of the trenches and the different parts, just give us a brief overview so we're all familiar with the terminology. Sure, we usually start with the lip, that's the edge of the top of the trench, the belly, that's the middle, and then the floor is the bottom of the trench. Our major concerns are, are the lip early on. We need to make sure that that's padded out with plywood or, um, any wood, 2x10s, 2x12s. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Line units are going to arrive on scene, assuming we have a, a trench collapse. The IC has a lot of considerations, you know, and life being paramount. Let's talk about some initial actions for the line units when they arrive at a trench sure. operation. Now, I, I'm not, I don't get too deep into saying what the life hazard is, but just say general considerations, actions they can take to improve the situation. Sure. Initial companies, they want to try and leave the front of the excavation or trench site open. We're going to look to get the towel ladder in place as a high point. We're also going to need to leave it open for a kind of vacuum truck. Basically, it's a giant vacuum that helps us remove dirt from around the victim. It's imperative that we get that close because we only have a limited amount of hose that could come off of that vac truck. And we need room for the collapse rig that has a lot of our specialty equipment on it. And the squad second piece mm-hmm. also has a lot of important equipment on it. it has a compressor, has a trench panels, and then a lot of our struts that we're going to need. Which is the unit that carries the trench panels? Uh, both the rescue collapse rigs and the squad second piece. 
Okay. So that's a matter of staging early on. That's a, an incident commander responsibility. Yes. It's important that we leave some room for those pieces of equipment. Yeah. You know, it could be a trench in the middle of a street or it could be in the middle of a construction site. Absolutely. It could be in the back of a home. I believe the one on the 27 was on the side or the back of a home. Yeah. It limits our access. Well, somebody's construction site, just finding access, just how you even enter is a problem. Right. Those are all good considerations for the initial on-scene. But what about units? Like, you know, we talk about the spoil pile and taking action, planking. Sometimes Absolutely. there are materials around it. Talk about some actions that could move us down the road to making a safer operation and a successful operation. A trench operation is very, very logistical heavy. Yeah. So many moving parts. There's so much equipment that we have to get off of our rigs and apparatus. So the first arriving engine or truck, they can help greatly by shutting down machinery, shutting down utilities, padding out the edge or the lip of the trench is critical because we're going to have members operating around the lip of the trench. So what you're saying is they could scare up planking? Exactly. Rip down construction fence, plywood. Use any construction material that's laying around, whether, it, again, it's 2x10s, 2x12s, plywood. And what they're going to do is just literally put that around the lip or the edge of the trench. And what that's going to do is allow us a working platform to help displace the weight because we're going to be working up to the lip of the trench and lowering in our equipment. So we don't want to cause that lip to cave in. You also recommend for the initial units ladders for egress? Yeah, we're going to need portable ladders off of the trucks. We're definitely going to use that as an access point and egress point. That needs to be coordinated because what do we do when we put a ladder in? Guys are just going to want to climb it, go into it. So there are a few things we want to make sure we do collectively before we let anyone go into the trench. We need to make it safe. We need to have trench panels in place, and we need to shore it up with our Paratech pneumatic shores. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when I did a little research on this, so many federal regulations. And the bottom line is uh, you need to be trained up to the technician level to make entry into a trench. What about the spoil pile? Is there anything, when it comes to removing it, any hazards that you see that where... If it's too close to the lip, Absolutely. how would you suggest for an initial unit to size that up and take action? So because we live in an urban environment, when the machine operator is digging a hole, he, he takes that dirt and he basically puts it right on the edge of the excavation or the trench that he's digging. He has limited space. He can't really put that dirt wherever he wants. And most likely it's going to go right back in at the end of the day or within a few days. But that's a lot of weight. So one of our initial things is, yeah, we want to cut that spoil pile back and we're going to need members basically with shovels to cut that spoil pile back two to four feet from the lip of the trench for a few reasons. That's a lot of weight on the lip of that trench. The weight of the removed dirt, the excess dirt, can cause the spoil pile to, to cave into the trench. Yeah. It, ha it happens. And we're also going to need it as an access point to the other side of that trench. That could be the side we need to gain access to. So if we cut that back, we're going to use 2x10s or 2x12s in that maybe four-foot space that we cut back because we're going to have members setting panels from that side as well, potentially, and setting the struts from that side or maybe even gaining access to the victim from that side. So many considerations. Finding a competent person. Sure. I mean, that's got to be high on your list. It would be for me as a chief. Yeah. Somebody could tell me what happened and what we might be looking at. No doubt. And how many victims? Yeah. Right? How many people were working here today? Yeah. It's usually the machine operator. Depends on the, on the type of Depends operation. Depends on the day. Yeah. But um, with the regulations that the city has enacted over the years, yeah. I think construction sites have gotten more stringent, and that's better for the worker, right? They're more protected. Yeah, absolutely. So there should be a site safety guy on site, some sort of management. But the chief or, or the first arriving company officer is going to want to talk to that competent person, ask what they were doing, what happened, how many potential victims are in the hole, and then 
make sure that that person stays by the incident commander's side, make sure that the machine is shut down. It goes beyond that too, right? In our city, subway traffic, sure, traffic and congestion. It's uh, all incident commands considerations. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I'd imagine, I mean, you've been to a few of these, I'm sure. The emotions are running high, just gaining control of the trench. I'm sure there would be rescuers in the trench usually trying to take action. Yeah, their initial reaction is to jump in and help their coworker. Yeah. A lot of times, the reason trench is dug is utility repair. I know they're outdoors normally, but still metering is an issue, right? Absolutely. First arriving truck, they can meter the hole for us too. Right. There are hazmat tech units assigned on the initial ticket for a trench rescue, and they'll be tasked with that, maybe potentially venting it. If there was a gas leak and with the person trapped in a, in a trench, they would continue to monitor. We'll get off the, the rig with, with meters as well, as, yeah. as well as this squad company, you know. It's definitely part of our initial uh, operation. We meet at the three levels of a trench, the bottom, the middle, and the top, similar to like a quiet space. Well, can you explain that? Can you go, go a little further? Yeah, so that? Uh, the members uh, will initially grab the meter, the multi-gas meter. They'll put it on a piece of webbing, and they'll lower it into the hole. It's depending on how deep the trench is exactly. and, and the, yep. the different levels. Right. Now our specialized resources are showing up. Let's talk about your size up of the trench when you show up. Maybe units are in the process of removing the spoil pile. They've done some planking to protect the lip of the trench. How do you size it up? Because you are the ones carrying all the tools. Sure. So I'm going to check in with the chief, try and get all that information he hopefully got from that competent person, how many victims, where are they in the trench. And then each member of the rescue or the squad has an alternate position. Beside being the can or roof firefighter, you're also entry, safety, rigging, and they're tasked with exiting their apparatus with certain tools ready to go. Is that trench specific? It, it's or specific it for every emergency. Yeah. yeah, but it is trench specific since that, that's what we're talking about, yeah. Members will get off the apparatus with an assignment specific to the trench emergency. The canned firefighter is the entry firefighter, and they'll usually be tasked with being in the hole. And minimizing personnel in the trench is... Absolutely. Even for us, it's not going to be safe for me to put my entry firefighter into the trench until the trench panels are in place and the struts are shot, meaning the Paratech pneumatic struts are shot to 200 PSI. They're locked, and that makes it safe for my members to enter the are trench. Are they cleated in, too? Yep. We nail them off. Yep. Talk a little bit about the, the trenching process from the technical rescue, because I'm interested in it. I told sure. you before the podcast, my only trench training came back as a SOC support lieutenant a while back. Sure. But let's talk about, I'd like to know about your procedures for cross-bracing, setting that trench, setting the trench panels. Sure. Uh, you do it from the exterior, if I remember correctly. They lower it in. Exactly. Nobody so in. a trench panel is made of fin form. It's a four by eight sheet of engineered plywood, if you will, with rope on it. And members will lower two of them opposite each other, basically on the wall of the trench. The initial trench panels are placed right where the victim is. So we want to gain the protection for him and for our members that are going to enter the hole or the trench. So the first set of panels are placed basically above the victim. And then we're going to start to lower Paratech struts with bases into the trench. That takes a lot of members to get this done. Hmm. The trench panel takes at least two members to put in place and lower it in. And then... Each strut takes two members to set. So when we lower the struts in, the first set of panels, we put one in the middle. The first strut is lowered into the middle. We try to keep it level. We shoot that again to about 200 PSI, and then we'll do one at the top of the panels and then one at the bottom. So it's a traditionally middle top bottom for our first set of struts. As that's happening, we'll put the portable ladder in inside the trench panels. So when the member descends the ladder into the trench, he's in that protected area, in that safe place. 
Now, what's your next move after that? Do they continue, say, you're, there's a victim extrication going on at that point? Do they expand with the trench panels? Do they continue, or is it just dependent upon the emergency? It definitely depends on the emergency, but most likely we would like to probably get at least four or two sets of panels in to give a good area of protection. And it's really dependent on the, the yeah. position of the victim. Is the victim upright? Is he laying horizontal where he's taking up uh, potentially six foot of his body is laying up so he could be outside the protection of the of a four-foot panel. Hmm. So. Talk about uh, our response to trenches. Is it the standard collapse matrix? It's pretty close. Yeah, there's a complete matrix for trench. You know, it includes two rescues, two squads, the collapse rescue, right. the uh, tactical fire. support. Yep, tactical support. The Con Ed Vac is assigned? The Con Ed Vac truck is assigned by the uh, fire alarm dispatchers. They'll call Con Ed. They'll send two. One as a backup. How many does Con Ed have of those? They have them throughout the city, all five boroughs. And we have a good working relationship with them. They come to all of our trench classes. They come to our refresher classes. We have a really good working relationship with them. Yeah, they always seem to be on scene pretty quick. Yeah, they understand how important they are because um, yeah. without them there or initially before they arrive, we're removing the dirt by bucket. Yeah, five-gallon buckets. Hand. I want to hear more about the kind of back truck. Who actually operates that? The way I read it, yeah. they operate it. It's their Unless truck. Unless it's yeah. their show. It's yeah. their rig. They're, they're, there they're are the experts. situations, yeah. like say a hazardous atmosphere. Yeah, they're going to try and get that as close as they can. The sock compressor truck, which turns out of Randall's Island, is staffed by a full-duty firefighter that has a compressor on it, and it also has extensions. So Con Ed Vac Truck, their daily work is they pull right up to a manhole, and they get very close to it, and they're able to just suck out leaves and debris so their people can work. When they come to a trench, they're not expected to drive this. They're not first arriving. And they're not <laughs> first arriving, right. Then it's a heavy truck. They can't park this thing right next to the trench. It's just way too much weight. So the sock compressor truck has extensions, so we can extend the reach of the vac truck into remote areas, like into maybe the back of a construction site. And they can also go down to, theirs is maybe like a six inch diameter hose. We could get it down to like four inch. And that takes everything, right? Rocks, cans, whatever it, it is. It does, yeah. Also on that sock compressor truck, there's an inline shutoff. It's like an emergency brake, if you will. It'll stop the suction. They could shut it down at their truck. So as a rescue or a squad officer, I would want to be in eye contact with that Con Ed worker. Who's operating? Who's the operator, yep. They have two members of Con Ed are on their truck every day. The rescue or squad officer is going to want to have eye contact with him or her to shut that truck down. And it's really in the event that gets stuck or maybe a piece of the clothing of the victim gets sucked up into it. A lot of times it's just because we sucked up something too big, like a giant rock that's going to get stuck. Yeah. But we also have, like I said, the inline shutoff that will keep a member on it, and it basically breaks the suction, and we can reset really quickly. And what about the hazardous atmosphere scenario? Is there a scenario where our members are operating the Con Ed Vac truck? We're not really trained to, to okay. use the, the machine itself. What about our ALS units? I know they're playing a larger role in these technical incidents, and you train regularly with them. We do. They're obviously part of the response. Yep, they're going to come with, I believe, at least one rescue medic unit, if not two. Yeah, they're integral part. They have the ability to treat that victim for crush syndrome. Usually trench incidents are very, very time-consuming. It's a prolonged operation. They take up to hours. Traditionally, if a victim is trapped, it's like an hour per foot. If he's really completely buried, that's the rough math. To remove about a foot of dirt, it takes about an hour. Now, that has to do with like a little bit of bucket, not necessarily with the vac truck. The vac truck speeds it up significantly. It's uh, super useful when you need it. <laughs> it. It is. And like I said, we train with them all the time. We invited all of their new people. I guess they had a new hiring class for their VAC truck 
sector. It's like a division. It is a division of, the, of Con Ed. We just ran a trench class for them. And it was basically our members showing them how it would go down, but also showing them how important their job is. And that if we have to do this by hand, we're definitely going to be there like an hour per foot. Yeah. But with the VAC truck, it's going to speed that up significantly. Yeah, it's a really useful piece of equipment for sure. So let's talk about specifically those rescue medics. I know you train with them. We have so much personnel, but we want to focus on doing what's right for the victim at all times. And it's yeah. At some point, like I mentioned, it's going to be a prolonged operation. And once we realize that, we need to make sure we allow access for the rescue medic to start a line and treat that person for a crush injury. Similar to the Con Ed relationship, the rescue medic relationship is really good. They come to us for all these classes. We put them on rope. We put them in the trench. We put them in confined spaces. And The rescue paramedics, they have all the training. Is that correct? They do, yeah. They have these crazy mannequins that do different things. They bleed. They go into shock. They uh, you know, go into cardiac arrest. So we'll put them in a trench. They'll be tasked with going down and, and treating them. When we have our live trench class at The Rock, because it is you know, a somewhat dangerous class to run, we have them on standby for us but they also get to come out and see the operation again. Be like refreshed. a refresher. Yeah. Which is important. It's absolutely important. <laughs> to go back to what we said and, you know, what, what precipitated just having this, this conversation, very low frequency, very dangerous, and, uh, and very emotion-filled. Everybody wants to help. Obviously, life's the priority, but you also have to, you know, give it the respect that it deserves and really understand just how dangerous it is. Sure. The saying in all the books is that dirt moves at 40 miles an hour. Yeah. We all get it. We're all... Type A personality, that's what we do. That's what first responders do. We want to jump in and help people, but you could be at risk if you just jumped into a trench arbitrarily that's not been made safe. We talk about these you know, things being low frequency, but they do seem to be happening. And my unscientific research says they're happening more in Brooklyn. Sure. <laughs> Whether that's true or not, you would be the person to tell me, but let's talk about the different type of soils you might find in a city. And now you might find it in, in each borough, right? Sandy near the shores or? Sure, exactly. And if you look north in the Bronx, it's going to be a little more rocky, yeah. right? A little bit different soil. And yeah, as you go south in our boroughs, you're going to hit Long sand. Long Island is sandy. Right, it's sandy, right. Staten Island has clay. And clay can be very uh, unassuming. Clay looks very stable, but if it fails, it's going to fail in a giant section, and it's going to be extremely heavy. One cubic yard of soil weighs as much as a small car, so it's extremely heavy. That's why it takes so long to get that dirt off of somebody. Yeah. And also, I don't know how much soil uh, in the city, these trench could be considered virgin soil, because right? Right. we have so much underground infrastructure and so much construction over the years, because that's why these trenches are being dug. Absolutely. So the one you spoke of earlier in the 2-7 in the Northern Bronx, that actually was a safe trench. The workers actually made it safe. They had panels. What happened was uh, they undermined one section of it, and I believe there was a cave-in below the panel and pin the guy's leg. So even when they do make it safe, it could still be a major construction accident. We had one um, earlier this year, I believe, at JFK. It ended up being a double fatal. The trench was engineered by construction workers. So did it have a trench box? It, it was completely framed out with heavy timbers, but they undermined a pipe that was encased in concrete, and a slab of concrete came and, and killed two workers. They undermined concrete. Was there concrete they, underground in the trench? There was, so about 30 feet below grade, um, oh, it was that deep of a trench? It was very deep, yeah. There was a pipe. Old pipe. underground infrastructure, exactly, right? Exactly, yep. Yeah. That was encased in concrete for some reason, maybe to keep the pipe level when they put it in. I'm not 100% sure. Mm -hmm. 
two workers undermined that pipe and that concrete wasn't supported and it fell and, and crushed them to death, unfortunately, you know? Yeah. When the members come to the rescue school, we do a scenario for deep trench, but we, we do it to about maybe 12, 13, 14 feet. That was an engineered one. We just had one in Queens. It looked like they were doing foundation work on a private house and they undermined part of the footing and the foundation of the house. And that section collapsed and pinned the work in the trench about 10 feet down, pinned them from the waist down. Was it dirt that collapsed or was it, it the was, foundation? It was the foundation. It was probably a good six or seven feet long by about two or three feet high by about two feet wide. Again, they had undermined it significantly, probably a good eight feet under it. It broke loose and pinned uh, a guy from his waist down. He survived. He was, he was lucky. How were they able to remove them? Did they have to break up the, the concrete? No. So um, we put our trench panels in. We shot a gold Paratech strut, which is a strut that's a little bit longer than our normal struts because the width of the trench was about 10 or 12 feet wide. And we used a Paratech multi-force airbag to lift the piece of concrete off the victim. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, it went smooth. So it almost makes a liar out of me. As to what I said earlier, this job start to finish was uh, we had the guy out in 30 minutes. We had to undermine a little bit. He wasn't completely covered by dirt. He was partially covered by dirt, but yeah, it was it was, it was more about the the lifting of the concrete. Yeah, well, everyone's different, right? Absolutely, they are trained for. They're basically a construction accident, and and every day it could be different. Yeah, yeah, so many variables. But uh, listen, this has been really informative. Like I said, it's something that we don't, you know, you know, you could get one, you don't get them very often. Just uh, just as a refresh, uh, I appreciate you coming down and sharing. It's been great. Thanks for having me, Chief. Earlier, I referred to a WNYF article. It was in spring 2022 edition on the trench collapse in the Bronx. Check it out at fdnypro.org. Thanks for listening to this edition of the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Battalion Chief Brian Mulry. For more training and information from our subject matter experts, go to fdnypro.org. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.